Look at what the Democrats are doing in America right now. Hundreds of thousands of people are turning up at your southern border. And with um, the permission and the endorsement of Joe Biden and Kamala yeah. Harris, the way the Democrats approach your politics specifically, it's laying out the instruments of the dismemberment of the republic and saying, this is what we're going to do to you. Welcome to the Father Stage. I am Jesse Lee Peterson. Happy Men History Month. August is Men History Month, so this is our fourth year of celebrating men's history. And again, thank you for last month. July was White History Month. It was amazing. Don't forget that the Father Stage is on Patreon. Click on the little Patreon link in the description to support our work. I have with me a very interesting guest, Carl Benjamin, also known as Sargon of Akkad. He is a British free speech activist and the director of lotuseaters.com. Carl, thank you so much for coming on, man. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. It's great to talk to you again. Yes, sir. Uh, Happy Men's History Month. I didn't even know. It wasn't (laughs) in the media, strangely enough. (laughs) Did you know we celebrated White History in July? I did not know that. What the? Where you been, man? I'm out of the loop. I didn't know. (laughs) Every July, this is our fourth year, every July is White History. And then every August is men's history. Wow. When you think about that. Um, I mean, in in Europe, the term white isn't very useful. Uh, It doesn't doesn't really um, make a lot of sense over here. Why not? Because everyone's white. Um, But we've got lots of different nations and lots of different ethnicities. Uh, And so we, we tend to use our sort of national identities. So I'm English, you know, a Scotsman is Scots, you know, and things like that. Uh, And, and if we, if we just use the sort of blanket term white, it'd be difficult for me to tell the French that they're bad people just because they're French. So uh, (laughs) it's, it's more useful to use the national uh, groupings in, in in Europe. White is just a description rather than an identity, I think. So in Europe, they don't have the same issues we have here in America where the the color people are trying to destroy the white people? I definitely wouldn't frame it like that. Uh, <laughs> we we have got imported ethnic tensions. Uh, th- this is f- relatively recent in Europe because um, until the end of World War II, there wasn't a large amount of uh, non-white immigration into Europe. Right. Um, it was al- always very, very minor, very minor. Uh, th- there were... Um, like non-white people who lived in Europe, but it was always a small, very small percentage. And so they would never get, you know, any kind of political representation. But since in Britain, particularly uh, since 1997, and a left-wing politician called Tony Blair decided he'd throw open the borders, uh, we've had millions of immigrants. Uh, Britain is one of the most densely populated islands in the world, and it's getting worse every year. We, uh, we've got, uh, the last census, it was something 66 million people in the country, and since then, there's been 10 years of mass immigration, and we have 650,000 people coming in each year, Whoa. about 250,000 people leaving. So that gives us a net of around 300,000 uh, net increase in population every year. And so the next census is actually due to come out uh, later this year, I think it is, or beginning of next year. And it's going to be a bombshell because we already know that many English cities are now majority non-English. Uh, London and Birmingham, we can be certain, are majority non-English, uh, whereas, and, and it, may, it may well be there are a couple of others that have become majority non-English as well. And, uh, and the situation is getting a bit dire, I've got to say. And so do they have the race issue happening there as well? The left-wing activists in Britain have very clearly been on Twitter too much, and they've taken their cues from American left-wing activists and have decided that England, like the United States, is a white supremacist country that has been systematically oppressing non-white people since the dawn of time, yada, 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 you know, yeah. the spiel. Uh, yeah, they, they've imported exactly the same kind of race politics. Thankfully, it's massively unpopular over here. People aren't uh, really very interested in race politics in general. Uh, they're much more concerned with sort of, you know, local issues, personal issues. And uh, and so the, the, the sort of left-wing rhetoric 
feels very sort of dead on the tongue. It feels weird, right? You know, because yeah. in, in Europe, you, you didn't have like the KKK or anything like this. You know, you, you didn't have like organized race, race politics. And that, that was something that emerged in the 20th century, but was never popular and never got any kind of widespread acceptance or anything like this. It was always very, very marginal. And, and rightfully so, don't get me wrong. Um, and so it's weird when they sit there and try to make out like we have a history of that. And it's, we don't in this country. Yeah. There's a, you know, there's a history of it in like the empire, perhaps in, in other countries, you could say that. Sure. Um, but that's not really what Britain was like, I think. So are the, what I would call white British, uh, the white Englishmen, are they afraid to speak up? Oh, absolutely. The, the country has been in the grip of the terror that is political correctness for decades now. And I, I remember I'm 41. And so I, I sort of came of age in the 1990s. And I remember even then political correctness being something that was on TV and they, you know, they, they in, on talk shows, they would say, well, that's, that's not very politically correct. And it's like, okay, well, I didn't agree that there was a correct politics. So I don't know what we're supposed to be adhering to, but of course the answer is leftism. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the, the average person, in, interestingly, Brexit was one of these issues where it was kind of like a quiet revolution uh, where the media, the political class, uh, all of the great and good, you know, scientists, doctors, engineers, lawyers, you know, all these sort of, you know, the, the, the people who are in the higher positions of society uh, were all for remaining in the European Union. And it was just the regular person who essentially felt like they couldn't speak out and say, yeah. well, look, actually, I really hate the European Union and I'd like Britain to be a sovereign country, if that's not too much to ask. And, uh, and so we got browbeaten. We got called racists, xenophobes, all the names under the sun that you've heard a million times. And yet we voted for Brexit anyway, and now we're out of the European Union. Uh, but nice. uh, I, I, when, when, I, when I bought a house, actually, uh, I was speaking, uh, you know, there's a sort of quiet period where we're waiting for you know, a message to come through. And I was speaking to the person who was um, you know, brokering the, the mortgage. And we happened to start talking about Brexit. I was like, oh, okay, how, did, how did you vote? And they were like, I voted leave, actually, but uh, I couldn't tell any of my friends because of the way that everyone gets treated. And I was like, well, don't worry, I voted leave too. And we were in the majority. So, you know, we got what we wanted. So, you know, the the, the minority of people who are hectoring yeah, right. us about it, they're the minority and we can at least be safe in that, you know. What happened to what I would consider white people, right? Hmm. In England and the United States and other areas where countries were founded, by white people, what happened to them that they invited these people to their homes, you know, the country, and they allow them to intimidate them in their own space? What happened to the whites that at home they're afraid to defend their homeland? It's a really great question, and I think it's got very deep roots. Um, primarily, I think that... I speak, I'm going to speak for particularly the English-speaking world because I'm more familiar with that. Right. Um, but for the, in the English-speaking world, I think that they forgot that uh, they were a particular culture. I think that they thought that their values were universal. And it's not that their values can't be universal. What it is is that their values are just not universally held. Uh, there is there is a particular culture to the English-speaking world, and they forgot this. And so they assumed that everyone thinks that you should form uh, two-parent nuclear families, husband, wife, and a bunch of children. Yeah. They, they thought that everyone would buy into the Protestant work ethic, that uh, people would be incentivized to start small businesses and work very hard for their own benefit, to own private property and to, you know, to buy their own house, to own their own business and to you know, build their own little patch of the world. I think they assumed that everyone would follow that model. And I think there are a lot of immigrants into our countries who do want to follow that model. They look at that model and say, hey, that would work for me. But I also think there are a lot of immigrants in our countries who don't think that. And we haven't been sensitive to that. And so we allow, and, and one, of the, one of the primary uh, attributes of the English speaking world is it is what is called individualistic, which means that each person uh, believes in their own personal rights. They I don't like believe that. in group rights, yeah. right? Yeah. And, and so if you have cultures that do believe in group rights, moving into an individualistic culture, it's actually quite difficult for the individualistic culture to deal with that because these groups uh, operate in a different way. They don't 
they don't see the sort of matrix of trust that is built up in the English-speaking countries. Because one of, one of the things the English-speaking countries do, and Roger Scruton is a great uh, philosopher, conservative, British conservative philosopher, who, who talked about this before he died recently. And um, he, he speaks of the ability of the English, particularly, to trust strangers. Yeah. Now, this is not something you'll find if you go to, say, Turkey or, you know, Uzbekistan or something like this. Uh, the, the, it, it, you don't have a great deal of trust among strangers. And it's because of the kind of, I guess it's appropriate to say, the insular nature of England. Uh, it's, it's a very small, old place. And so it developed a common law. What, what is the common law? And this is a law for everyone. And what was really unique about this is they actually put the king below the law because, of course, in, in feudal times, the king was the arbiter of the law. The law flowed from the king. It was the king's law, the king's judges, you know, and the king was put there by God. And therefore, if you look at, say, continental Europe and sort of France and Germany, you get the absolute monarchs who are like, no, I am the state. Whereas in England, the opinion flowed the other way. The king is where he is because we put him there. Yeah. And therefore, if we demand the law of the land, and it, this is specific law of the land, not the king's law, then the king is also beholden to that law, even though he's the one whose job it is to enforce the judgments of the courts. Uh, and so this, this created a very high trust society where everyone was expected to follow the same laws. And therefore, you know that a stranger has been inculcated into this kind of cultural atmosphere and you can expect a certain kind of behavior from them uh whereas that that's actually really quite unique to the english-speaking world and this is obviously what england exported to its colonies uh and so you know america canada new zealand australia they're all common law countries and they're better for it. it's much better than the inquisitorial law roman law that you find on the continent uh because it, it one of the things that scruton actually highlights is that for the first time in history the the law was the tool of the common man so you could bring a lawsuit against someone else who had wronged you yeah. and the king would have to be on your side to support that because it was his courts you were using to prosecute someone else. This is, this is quite a magical state of affairs, actually. If you think about what law was like all through history, all throughout, you know, in all other cultures, it's actually a very unique thing. And it was the, the fact that the English speaking world assumes this is the default because of the default for them is one of the ways I think they tripped themselves up and weren't prepared for these other kinds of cultural attitudes. And I, I don't want to go on too much about it, but I, I really think that's the sort of source of the problem, because then when you get sort of group um, accusations saying, oh, you're oppressing us or something like that, and yet everyone can look around and go, Where, where's the oppression? You know, right. You've got all the same rights that I've got. How yeah. can I be oppressing you? What am I doing? You can, if if I'm doing something to you, you can just go to a court and file a civil suit against me and get redress. You know, yeah. like all of these same options are open to you. But the 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 cultures that come from this more sort of groupish mentality um, don't see the world like that, and so they look at things in terms of racial power blocks, and that's just not what the English speaking world is used to. Amazing. This is the first time I've heard it explain so perfectly i've heard portions of that about individuality and things like that but i never heard anyone lay it out the way you just explained it. and it's so clear and it makes so much sense even when i was growing up and i grew up on a plantation in alabama we didn't grow up as a group we all blacks did not agree with one another because yeah. we, there was a right and wrong situation going on we knew good from evil we were individuals and even as a kid I never just accepted the okie doke, you know. Even if, with adults, and then I would disagree or agree. Sometimes it got me in trouble. But I grew up as an individual with that mentality, and that's how America was. But now it's so group thinking. And now these, they want to claim you, don't they? Right. They say, well, you're black. You're ours. And they and want I to make you be a horrible. part of it. They they yeah, will not yeah. accept you want to be an individual. Yeah, that's a horrible mentality, in my opinion. I I. I mean, I, obviously, I'm not black, so I, I can't speak to the direct experience of what it's like to have a bunch of activists claiming you as theirs. <laughs> I, I, I can't even imagine. I, I, it's a mess. I, mean, I can't. Like, <laughs> if someone said that to me, I would just be like, right, okay, I'm your enemy. You know, like, <laughs> you can just lay, I, you don't own me. That's you know, right. You don't own me. I'm my own man, you know. So, uh, if, yeah, if I know. You don't if you don't belong to the group, they call you Uncle Tom, the N-word, all kind <sighs> of mm -hmm. names because you don't, you're not a part of a group. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it. Uh, frankly, I, I mean, I would, you know, I'm, I'm still an atheist, but I'd still call that evil. I think that's genuinely awful to, uh, to 
what what they're doing is abolishing your own agency. They're saying you don't get to think. And ironically, they're saying it because you're black. And it's like, sorry, isn't that what the slave owners did? You know, isn't that like, (laughs) like, that's the, that's the most retrograde opinion I can ever imagine holding about someone else. And uh, obviously I don't hold that opinion. So it's just, I just find it morally offensive. Well, that was a captivating explanation of what's going on. That was mind blowing, man. You are a classic English liberal for yes. for a black and slow person like me. What does that mean? Um, honestly, I'm 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 basically a Republican in America. Um, your your republic is uh, the great English experiment in republicanism. Uh, you, you're you're doubtless aware that uh, Thomas Jefferson was heavily influenced by John Locke, who was the uh, one of England's leading uh, classical liberal intellectuals. And uh, and I I think that if you're going to structure a world in such a way, if you're going to make a rational decision, how should the world be ordered? Then I I I think you could do a lot worse than the American Republic. You know, this is and and there are actually some really important and very fine distinctions that can be made here between your republic and say the french republic and and various other republics around the world and i think this this distinction is why the american republic works and why the french model doesn't work mm. and it begins and ends in my opinion in the conception of where do our rights come from now i'm i like i said i'm an atheist but i do believe my rights are innate they're inalienable. Yeah. They're part of me. Yeah. The number of rights in the world are equal to the number of people. You know, the, you can't expand or contract rights. It's just equal to the number of people. And that's the model upon which the American Republic is founded. Rights are inherent. The government's job is to protect those rights. There are constitutional limits on the power of government. And therefore, this is how we remain free. And it works. It's definitely worked. We can see this worked. Whereas the French model is rights are constructed by the state. And this, of course, is... Many American conservatives will say, well, aren't you making the state God? Yeah. And the answer is yes. Yeah. You are giving the state the authority of God. And from this, you can see how socialism and fascism develop. Whereas in the English model, you'll notice that socialism and fascism don't come from the English-speaking world. We haven't had any tyrants. I mean, the last tyrant in England was in the 17th century. This is before the American Republic was even created. You know, the American Republic has not had a tyrant. The Canadians have not had a tyrant. The Australians, New Zealanders, nowhere in the English-speaking world have we had tyrants in, I mean, since the modern era, you know, whereas the the continent in, in Europe has been awash with tyrants for hundreds of years who have claimed absolute dominion and authority over their state. And I think this really is the prime difference and why the American Republic works, why the English, the rest of the English-speaking world as constitutional monarchies, monarchies work, and why the continent's experiments in republicanism and any other kind of government they do, frankly, constantly fails. Yeah. Constantly fails. Amazing, man. Were you raised with the same political views that you have now? Um... You know, my, my parents weren't overly political in the home, which I appreciate yeah. now I think back on it. But um, my, my father was definitely a conservative because in the 1970s, we had a left-wing government and they ruined this country, as you can imagine. And as the Democrats were, in fact, doing in your country right yeah. now, it's actually very similar. Yes. Uh, they had, you know, rolling blackouts, rubbish not collected in the streets, three-day work weeks, things like this. You know, it's, it's exactly the same playbook and it always is with the left. Uh, it's exactly the same playbook. And this this was upended with Reagan and Thatcher. Uh, my dad, growing up uh, as a young man under in, under Thatcher's tenure, uh, he found he was, well, I mean, my dad was a hardworking man, so he came from a very poor background. So it was always beaten. It, in, the, in the English working class, it's beaten into you. You work hard or you get nothing. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. so my my father, you know, joined the, the Royal Air Force at like 16 to escape poverty, uh, worked his way up, became a sergeant, left the Air Force, got a pension. And so I got a nice sort of lower middle class upbringing in a safe and secure environment. And and so it's it's not actually that I was raised conservative consciously it's just that this kind of cultural attitude is i guess what we call a naturally conservative one and of course in my 20s i decided oh i'm going to read theory and so i you know i read like about half of capital by marx i read you know just around the subject didn't really get into it too much in my 20s because i just wasn't that interested in it but you know i was smart enough to understand it so i gave it a go and i guess i came out fairly left-leaning uh, and so it's only in my 30s and now that I've just looked at it and gone, right, okay, 
do what, what do I agree with on the left wing? What, what premises do they have that I agree with? And fundamentally, I think it all boils down, and I, I hate to keep laboring this distinction, but I think this is true. I think it boils down to the view of the world that came out of the Enlightenment from the English and the French philosophers. So you have a French philosopher called Rousseau who thinks who, who thought, I mean, and he says this in his social contract, uh, that uh, the, the person who first mapped out some private property uh, should have had the stakes pulled up and this should have been abolished because civilization is what corrupts us. Whereas in the English view, you've got the sort of Hobbesian view that, look, you know, before civilization, life was nasty, brutish and short. Yeah. And that seems to have been true. <laughs> and it is, in fact, civilization that civilizes us yeah. into being good people. You know, we habituate ourselves into goodness and without this kind of habituation without our ability to be able to educate ourselves have law and order and property and all these things then we would be savages living in the jungles and the you know it'd be terrible for us <laughs> yeah. and i agree with that you know i disagree with the french view that kind of fetishizes the noble savage and oh weren't they perfect then well not really that things were really bad actually you know and they, they actually suffered a lot and there's a reason we worked so hard on civilization building up everything we have around it. this was a lot of work yeah. it took a long time and it was really worthwhile and so to pretend that that is the reason that we're bad is not true. We're, you know, we're, without good moral guidance from a young age, we turn out to be bad people. So it kind of implies that naturally we don't have an innate set of morals and we have to be taught morals. Uh, even, even though naturally we might have a need for morals, of course, as social creatures, uh, it, it seems that otherwise we, we, we default in sort of just power struggles. And I think that law and order is a way we can avoid that. So are white people innately smarter than people of color? No. Why is it, it seemed to be, unless I'm missing it, and I'm black and slow and I could be missing it. Why is it I, that? <laughs> I, I don't think you're slow at all, actually. I've, I've watched more than enough of your interviews to watch you completely wrong foot leftists with uh, questions they don't expect. You're, you're not slow at all. Uh, this, this, is a, this is a very clever ruse that you play, I think. Um, but, uh, so no, why it's, is it that white, thank you, but why is it that white people seem to be the only race of people that have gone throughout the earth and built amazing countries based on God and individuality and constitution and all those good things where everybody else seemed to want to come and destroy it. Why is it that only white, that I'm aware of, maybe the others, I don't know about it, yeah. but why is it that only white people have been able to do that? Well, so I, I think that this is where the, the use of the term white isn't terribly effective because as, as I was pointing out, there's a huge, there's a gulf of difference between uh, English and continental European thought. And continental European thought, in my opinion, is much more reminiscent of thought around the world. And I think it comes from a particular kind of geographic privilege that specifically the English enjoyed. So uh, in, in the British Isles, England is by far the largest nation and by far the most powerful. And so it was destined on that basis to be the dominant force of the british isles and so uh you know by the by the middle of the middle ages uh england had subdued scotland and wales and ireland right so there was no threat that was uh, you know coming from its own local right. area yeah. uh and so the the interesting thing about england is it's always been quite a small parochial place right it's always been quite inward looking and concerned with itself and how the world should be organized. You know, the, 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 the key aspect of English culture, which thankfully got exported to our colonies, is accountability. You know, how can we hold the people above us accountable? Yeah. Now, that's, that's quite unique. Uh, that's, it, it, to have that as a primary value is quite unique. Obviously, accountability is nice everywhere, but in Russia, they don't expect accountability. Right. You know, obviously. You know, in Eastern Europe, they don't expect accountability. Corruption is the name of the game. They, they expect it there. And I, I think it's something to do with geography because when you're connected to Asia, that means you are basically vulnerable to massive, uh, massive invasions of terrifying people. Right. So through, all throughout history, for the past 2000 years, every couple of hundred years, uh, a people would arrive off of the Eurasian steppe and they would be scary as all hell. They are, you know, the, these are people who don't don't consider your life to have any value and they just want to kill you, enslave you and take what you have. And England being an island was actually spared from a lot of that. 
Uh, it may, meant that it had a kind of wonderful natural moat. And so it had the freedom to be able to develop a very closely connected account, a culture of trust and accountability. And I don't think that really would have been possible considering the chaos that was going on on the continent and elsewhere in the world. And so I actually, I actually put it down to the, the geographical uniqueness of where the English were compared to the rest of the world. It's, it's not about like being smarter or superior or anything like that. It's actually, frankly, a bit of luck that we just happened to be in the right place at the right, right time. And, you know, that, uh, but, but I don't want to, I don't want to take away the, um, the, 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 constitutional innovations you know they, these are part of the moral excellence of the english-speaking people these are genuinely something we can be proud of because this is what led to the ending of slavery this is what led to the formation of our human rights you know as we w worldwide understand human rights now these things used to be called the rights of englishmen and it was very interesting that the american colonists they didn't think this ended at the borders of England. They brought these rights with them. And part of one of the, one of the reasons they were arguing against uh, the King of England was that he was denying them their rights as Englishmen to representation in the parliament. Yeah. You know, how dare you? We're Englishmen. We're, of course we are. And listen, name, name the founding fathers, Thomas Jefferson, George Washington. You couldn't get more English names if you tried. Right. You know, the, these weren't <laughs> Frenchmen saying these are French rights. These yeah. were English rights. And, you know, through, through the Enlightenment, we decided, well, actually, these are actually human rights. You know, all humans have the same abilities that we have. And so we've expanded that. And I think it's at that point that we kind of assumed that everyone else just agreed with us. Whereas, in fact, a lot of people don't agree with us. Right. We should be more aggressive by saying, no, look, this is the English way and we are going to do it this way because this, is, this works. You know, we don't have tyrants. You do. You learn how we work. And that's better for everyone. Amazing. Chris, I bet you're loving this white history, right? <laughs> yeah, Did you know all this? Yeah, I'm familiar with some of that stuff. Really? Chris is my white engineer. He's real white. He likes white on the inside <laughs> and the outside. So <laughs> this is amazing. So what does it, I have two more questions about that, then I got to move on to some more stuff. What sure. does it feel like for you as an individual, you Englishman or whatever you want to call yourself, being falsely accused uh, falsely accused of what? Particular? Of being somebody else's problem, being called racist or being called whatever they're calling you. <sighs> You've been blamed as white supremacy and all that. What does yeah. that feel like to you as an individual? It's strange because it's an attack that doesn't actually make a lot of sense. <laughs> um, because, I know what you like, mean. Well, in America, I guess you could say it's a it's an attack that makes sense because it doesn't have, make sense in America either. Believe me, it makes but, I mean, no sense. Given, given the history of America, but I still, it doesn't could, make sense because it's not true. Well, sure, but like from but from anyway. the layman's perspective, okay, right, I, I you know I, I can see the sense of it in America, but the thing is over here, it doesn't make a huge amount of sense. I mean, London is the second biggest French city. You know, and the French are all white. So, you know, essentially by saying I'm a white supremacist, you're also saying I'm a French supremacist. And I'm really not, you know, like, I'm, I'm not in favor of the way the French do things at all. Um, and so, like, when, when they call you these things, I think it's, I mean, it's almost always disingenuous, you know, because people who are actually white supremacists, people who are actually genuinely racist and hate people because of the color of their skin. They're not very hard to spot. And often they're open about it, or they used to be before, like, you know, the, 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 the big censorship hammer came down. Uh, and so it always seemed to be a disingenuous way of driving the conversation into a particular realm of morality that the conservatives don't occupy. And this is one thing that I think conservatives need to think about a lot, actually, is how do the conservatives view what the world is made up of? Because if you think about the way that the left creates the framing of their arguments, they're all abstract universal categories. You know, you're white, you're a woman, you're cisgendered or whatever, you're transgendered. <laughs> the, these are not inherent to one person or one group of people right. these are things you can find anywhere right? anyway. and that's that's not how a conservative views the world i think uh, and and like i said i'm not a natural conservative because i'm not like you know i've i've, I've not grown up in conservative political circles right. uh, but i've been i've been trying to learn how the conservatives view the world being made up and i think the conservatives view the world as being up, made up of relationships 
You know, it's your relationship with your wife to create the family unit that creates your children, that creates your local community that your kids go to school in, you know, and these relationships, again, form this kind of web that is the, the part of the world you're trying to protect. You know, that's what you want to conserve. That's what you want to make sure is able to flourish so your children can grow up somewhere nice. And so you can, you know, grow old and think, right, I've done my part. I've made my small business. I've, I've done a good job. And so when the left comes along and goes, right, okay, don't worry about any of this. You know, we're going to talk about an abstract category. It's like, I don't think about abstract categories. Yeah. I'm not thinking about that at all. I'm thinking about the things that I know, the, the people I love, the yeah. places I live in, you know? Yeah. And, and I, I think the conservatives need to be able to articulate this a bit more clearly. That makes sense. You're absolutely right. One last thing about that, as far as I think, who are over, is there someone or some group that is over the Democrats, the liberals, and paying them or encouraging them to act this way? Or is that just their mentality? I think that there's definitely an international organized effort to abolish the nation state. Uh, Steve Bannon calls this the party of Davos. And I think that's a pretty good uh, representation. You'll, you'll know the things that we're talking about when you see them. Yeah. Uh, like the World Economic Forum, uh, things like this, where there's... They, they, what they, they kind of view themselves as global controllers. Now, I just want to be very clear. This is not any one ethnic group, and it is not uh, universal to, that, to any ethnic group. Uh, it's made up of very many different individuals who are attracted to this kind of uh, managerial scientific politics, I suppose we could call it, where they, they view the world as numbers on a spreadsheet. And so they're concerned, oh, we need to improve economic growth in Southeast Asia. Do we? I don't care about economic growth in Southeast Asia. <laughs> yeah, the hell right. with that. You know, I'm not bothered about that at all. I'm bothered about, you know, how my little house and an area in Wiltshire is being destroyed by mass immigration. You know, I'm not, that's what I'm concerned about. Uh, but th- this kind of international managerial class uh, is definitely a product of the sort of post-war 20th century. And I think that they've got to the point where they realize, and now especially with the COVID thing, the mask very much came off. Yeah. This, and it's like, right, okay, we, we need lockdowns, we need tyranny, we need you know, the abolition of your rights, and that's an unacceptable proposition to so me. How so do, how do we defeat that? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, and one to which um, I want to make it very clear, I'm uh, – pro-democracy right. uh, so i'm anti-revolutionary yeah. and so the the question is how did this happen and what can we do uh, and this happened because revolutions failed uh, the revolutions in the english-speaking world didn't happen uh, the communists knew that they failed actually all through the 20th century they realized this and it was a chap called gramsci who was like right okay well we need to start going after the culture then and this is one of the reasons why i'm drilling down so hard on the conservatives saying okay how do you see the world what what do you build you know, what is it you build? And conservatives build relationships. You know, they, they, they build and they, and they build on trust and honor, you know, whereas you'll notice that honor and trust are not words you would use among left-wingers, are they? You know, they're the first to backstab each other. They're yeah. the first to betray you. They're the first to defame you. They yeah. are the first to insult you. You know, this is not what conservatives are like, and that's to their credit. Don't become like the left. Um, and so what the conservatives need to do is what Andrew Breitbart was, was suggesting when he said, Politics is downstream from culture. It very much is. And I hate to say this, but we've allowed leftists to educate an entire generation of children, possibly two generations now, in fact, to the point where they essentially are anti-freedom. They're yeah. anti-human rights. They think that the government is God and can tell you what to do at any given point. Uh, and so basically conservatives need to be very aggressive in articulating the moral good that comes from their political position. What can they build? What can you get? And you, of course, can get strong, healthy men. You can find, you know, a beautiful, loving, you know, compassionate women. You can find people who are at home in their place in the world. And I think this is where the, the conservatives can really win. It's on the concept of belonging. Where do you belong? Because you'll notice that the left have created this generation of young people who don't know anything and don't know where they are, don't know what they're doing. And they end up shaving their heads, chopping parts of their body off. And you see the mad videos all over like TikTok and Twitter and all this. They, they, they are people who are essentially sort of deranged because they don't have any relationships yeah. that keep them centered and grounded. You know, yeah. they don't have friends. They don't have like solid families. They're not, they're not forming bonds. Like, I find it baffling that Generation Z 
uh, I thought the millennials were bad, right? Millennials used to be the generation that had the least amount of sex. And no, it turns out now it's Generation Z. Yeah. And it's like, that's so strange. Because, I mean, I'm sure when, when you, like, you and I were boys, we were chasing after girls all the time. Yeah. You know, this is just something you did as a young man. Right. They don't do that now, right? The, the, the idea of, you know, this sort of thing has all been obliterated. And this leaves them vulnerable and frightened and alone and easy to manipulate by the powers that be who want to be like, right, okay, now you need to think of yourself as like a demi-queer gender freak or something like this. It's like, <laughs> look, no, actually, there's, there's actually... You know, and, and one of the things that follows from that is uncertainty, depression, insecurity, yeah. fear. You know, they don't know what they want. They don't know where they're supposed to be going. They haven't got a life plan. And I think this is where the conservatives can come and go, okay, look, right, this is going to sound old-fashioned, maybe a bit retrograde, but it's good for you. You know, the conservatives are not the ones with mental health crises. The conservatives are not the ones looking for meaning in their life because they find it in their families. Meaning is found in our relationships. You know, I mean, like, I don't need any encouragement to get off my ass and go to work because I know my kids need to be fed. Yeah. You know? I don't need any encouragement to get off my ass and go and fight the good fight against leftism because I don't want them chopping off my son's dick. You know, I mean, like, like I am I, very, very encouraged. I have a lot of meaning in my life because of my family and the left don't have this. And so I think this is where the conservatives can actually really win because the left have really beaten down these, these generations. They're really harming them. On, on like a deep level yeah and the but the problem is that the the way that these people have been conditioned and raised has been irreligious and i think it's going to be difficult to frame it in the religious way even and i know a lot of conservatives will be like oh come on i, I really want to and I, say, I know you do but you have to know your audience you know you have to know who you try to pitch to yeah and so you I, I genuinely think there needs to be a secular argument made from conservatism uh you don't need to challenge the assumptions of god that underlie a lot of it there's not that's not really very important to the average person living their daily life you know but i think if you if you go in hard you know banging a bible and saying god says this i don't think that's going to persuade that's not going to work but, no, exactly. But if you if you go in and say, well, look, look at you, you know, look at you, you're 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 weak, you're sickly, you're drugged up on all kinds of you know ADHD medicine, or whatever. You drink sugar, you know, pints and pints of sugar every day. You eat tons of sugar in your food. You know, you're 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 obese, you're unhealthy, you're unhappy. You know, actually, there's a way that you can come out of this and you can feel better about yourself. Yeah. You can feel better about the world. You can love what's around you. You know, you don't have to hate everything. It's not an evil world, actually. It's a good world. You know, it took a long time for us to get to this point. You just have to know how to engage with it. And conservatives need to start making that argument to young people, I think. Well, I know in this country, the conservatives are not doing a good job at all of explaining their point of view about life and about situation. They don't even have the nerve to put up a real challenge against the Democrats, the liberals, or anyone. It's kind of... To me, it's almost like we only have one party in America now, a Democratic Party, and and that party is extreme on one end and kind of extreme on the other end. We don't seem to have a two-party system anymore. It's even worse in Britain, to be honest. Uh, you, you should see what's happening with the coronavirus. So the, the conservatives in this country have done nothing, practically, yeah. for the past 10 years. They've been in government for 10 years. They've done nothing. But they keep winning bigger majorities in the parliament because the left-wing party here, the Labour Party, is just like the Democrats. They, you can see them taking their cues on Twitter from the Democrats, <laughs> where they just get more and more extreme. They go further and further to the left. And so the Conservatives keep winning by just standing still. <laughs> and yet you and, and so when the when the left wing uh, Labour Party leader says, oh, well, we're going to have to go into a lockdown. Right. The conservative prime minister will say, we're not doing a lockdown. And then literally within a day, we'll be like, OK, yeah, we're going to do a lockdown. And so <laughs> you can see them taking their marching orders from the left. And it's because they don't know what they should be doing yeah. as conservatives. Yeah. They don't know what they should be protecting or building upon as conservatives. Yeah. Uh, at least at least in America, you have Trump. Oh, my God. At least you have Trump. The great white hope. <laughs> uh, I, I, just, uh, I love the First Amendment. Nobody loves it better than me. <laughs> I, I went. I went to New York to get this. I got. I. I was not a Trump fan to begin with, but I went to New York to get that damn hat because I love Trump at this point. That's right. He's, uh, he's best thing that happened to the Republicans. And DeSantis is. A, yeah, doing a great job following in his stead. Uh, Ted Cruz is doing a great job. All of the, basically the conservatives worldwide, but specifically in America and Britain, need to understand, right? The left view you as an existential enemy. 
Yeah. They want to destroy yeah. you. You know, they're coming from within your own sort of moral framework as well and bending it so that it includes things that are evil in the same category as things that are good. There's, you see this in the fat acceptance movement and things like this. It's like, oh, it's healthy at any size. No, absolutely not. You know, scientifically provable and morally repugnant to tell someone that it's right that they should be massively obese. No, it's not right. It's bad for them. It's yeah. bad for other people. It's bad generally. It's enervating. It's unhealthy. And it is a burden on society. Yeah. That's absolutely not right. And But the conservatives are failing to properly articulate these points. And so the left are just steamrolling them on every point, every argument. Absolutely. And they're, they're failing to understand that these are not attacks made in good faith. The, the, the Republicans and the conservatives, right, they, they, they come from this position of viewing the other side of the argument as the loyal opposition. You know, oh, we're, we're all, you know, okay, we might disagree on this policy or that policy, but we all agree that we, you know, it's a good country and we've got to serve our constituents and we've got to make things better. No, that's gone. That's, that's a paradigm that existed in the last century, but doesn't exist now. Look at what the Democrats are doing in America right now. Hundreds of thousands of people are turning up at your southern border. And with um, the permission and endorsement of Joe Biden and Kamala yeah. Harris, that's not people who love your country. That's, I mean, what, like legal immigrants are more against the illegal immigration than your average Democrat. It's yeah. like, what the hell are you talking about? What the hell's wrong with you? Yeah. You know, of course, the legal, of course, the legal immigrants don't want illegal immigrants coming in. You know, the, A, they know who those people are. And they're like, no, they're not the people you want here. And B, they worked hard to get there. You know, they earned what they have. And so they respect it. But the Democrats, everything they do. And this we, on lotuses.com, we've got a historian called Bo Dade who writes amazing articles. And he wrote this brilliant one about the, 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 the way the Democrats approach your politics specifically. It's laying out the instruments of the dismemberment of the republic and saying, this is what we're going to do to you. So, for example, this packing of the Supreme Court, when yeah. that came up recently, saying, like, look, we're going to take your republic and chop it up until we get what we want out of it. And that is something that every Republican should be like, right, no, that's not on. We're not changing this. There's a good system. You know, it's a very good system. It's endured for nearly, what, 250, 300 years. Yeah. It's a great system. It's worked really well. And it's, it's done more for humanity than almost any other country, save England. I'm just going to put that aside. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, you, you've done a huge amount for humanity, which is why everyone from the world is trying to get into America. And so when the, when the Democrats are just laying out, look, this is how we're going to dismember the republic. That, that should be the, the, the warning signal for Republicans. We do not work with the Democrats. They are an invasive force. Yeah. And again, it comes from the sort of French way of looking at things. The Democrats believe that rights are constructed by the state. And you see this in Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and the rest of the squad. They're like, oh, we can just make the state do all of these things as if the state is God and could just remold reality into their particular fancy. No, there are limits to everything, especially the government. And, uh, and the Republicans need to start learning, look, you're, an, you're under attack. Your, your country is under siege from within yeah. by forces that are open about this. The, the, the Democrats do not make any bones saying this is a white supremacist country. We need a revolution. OK, there we go. You've got an invader. You've got <laughs> someone who's actively undermining your country. People shouldn't be voting for them. Amazing, man. You're so right. Uh, you said that you are. First of all, give me a yes or no on this. Are you afraid or concerned about your own life when you move it about in your own country? Uh, can you what what do you mean specifically? Sorry. Because you're being blamed for everything and you brought in all these people from a crazy other parts of the world who hate the country, who hate the people who try to change the rules. Does that concern you personally when you move about? Um, where I live hasn't been too terribly affected by mass immigration. If oh, okay. I lived in different areas of the country, I'd be very concerned about it. Uh, I mean, there, there was an example the other day, I can't remember what city it was in, I think it might be Manchester, uh, where a, a white English boy and his friend were walking down the street, and a gang of Muslims who didn't know them just saw these boys, chased one of them down and stabbed them to death in the street. Yeah, I and hear so, these all the time. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. And then you've got the grooming gang phenomenon in the cities that have had large amounts of Muslim immigration. And of course, you've got gang violence in London and Birmingham and Manchester and all of these other big cities. And, uh, and so even though I'm in a nice small area in the West Country, so it's God's own country, uh, I'm in a nice quiet area. Um, in the last two years, it's very much changed. Uh, and now our high street looks like London. It's just all of these 
driftless nomads of globalism who, you know, where are these people from? Who are these people? You know, and there's not any one ethnic group. Yeah. It's people from all over the world. It's all different kinds of people. And it's just like, okay, but like, who are they? What yeah. are they doing here? You know, where, how, where did they come from? Why, you know, who let them come here? You know, there were people <laughs> living here already. What's going on? You know, um, and, but on a, on a personal level, I'm not immediately concerned, but I can see where the wind, you know, the direction the ship is sailing. Yeah. And a few other ships have already crashed on the icebergs. I'm like, okay, maybe we need to start changing this before what it reaches us. You know, yeah, it's, it's not good. It's you, not good. You and, say that you no are one, an atheist. What does it mean to be an atheist? What does, what does that mean exactly? Uh, it means, for, personally, I mean, like, a standard definition of atheist would right, be someone who doesn't you, believe what in God. Right, but for you, what is that? It? Yeah. Uh, for me, personally, um, it, I just don't have any particular religious sentiments uh, because my parents were not um, religious themselves. And so I never grew up needing I, – I, I don't feel like I have a, a spiritual void or anything like that. Um, but I – I'm not an anti-theist. I think in my younger years, I probably would have been. But these days, I've actually been thinking a lot about what the religious types think God is in a different perspective. Because I'm there's there's a very difficult barrier in communication between those people who believe in God and those people who not necessarily don't believe in God, but don't give any thought or, or concern. Right. And I think that one way that the, the religious can speak to the irreligious on the subject is tr kind of, I don't want to say depersonalizing it, but I can't think of a better framing. Um, basically, if it seems that if you wanted to secularize the language that the religious are, are speaking, you could say that God represents a kind of natural order of the universe, right? And so, like, if God says, get married, have kids, and this is a good life, well, that's the natural order of the universe as right. well, you know? So a human being should get married, have kids, and have a good life, you know? And so, and, and when, when the religious say, well, God will punish you if you don't, I, I think you could frame it in a way that, mean, that doesn't mean literally there's someone with a thought process watching you personally. But the way that the universe is organized, if you don't follow a certain set of rules, then, yeah, you will find yourself falling into pitfalls and having problems. Absolutely. And, you know, there'll be difficulties. And so it, it, it's not that I think that that can't be expressed. I think that it needs to be expressed in a different way. You know, to, to get the message, because I think that's really what the conservatives are saying, isn't it? You know, it's it, it's really what they're saying. It's like, look, there, there actually is a kind of life plan for a human being. Yes. Uh, and it seems to be baked into us as just what we physically are. And expressing that is important to these young people, but beating Amazing. them with with a Bible that they don't really believe in, I don't think will work. But I think that that's, uh, there, there's a phrase, I can't remember where I heard it, that tradition is a solution for a set of problems that we forgot we had. Yeah. Right. And abandoning these traditions has just brought all these problems out of the woodwork. This is what we were saying about the millennials and Gen Z, where they're just lost and afraid and they don't know how to yeah. operate in the world. And so what these traditions were for is to give them the information and in, inculcate it into them as they grow up. And this is something we need to rediscover, you know, and we need, we need real conservative theorists for this as well. Because you, you can probably name dozens of left-wing theorists, you know, l l dozens and hundreds of them. And yet they're a very, very narrow band of conservative yeah. theorists, aren't they? You know, they don't, they don't spend a lot of time, like, creating theory about what they do. And I can see why, but I think it is something we're going to have to start working on. So, well, one of the mistakes, a great mistake has been made here in this country is that you have what you call the Bible thumpers. Mm -hmm. And they have intellectually learned the Bible. And just like a secular thumper in the secular world, they're going around pouncing on people with the word, right? And yep. people are rejecting it. Whereas yep. God said to be a living example of it. Be a living example rather than this wordy example. And that's what has turned off a lot of young people in their homes and in the schools. And so it's been easy for the liberals mm -hmm. and others to take over their minds because they have been browbeaten with the Bible, with Bible mm. thumpers, instead of their parents and others being living examples of what that is. And so do you believe there is a God? Um, not, not in the common conception of it. I mean, that if, if there is a divine being, I don't think it's paying too much attention. Uh, <laughs> but again, again, Honestly, it's not something I, I, I spend too much time worrying about, but I really like your point 
of uh, and if if I could just say, I think what you're describing is an adherence to virtue, isn't it? Right. Uh, because this is one of the questions, I, and I've been in, in I've been proselytizing Aristotle a lot because I think Aristotelian virtue ethics really like so philosophically the the philosophers will say ah but this is based on a bunch of assumptions that we can't substantiate okay maybe maybe it is but if you look at what he's saying it's actually very practical and it's about a way of living a good life it's a good wholesome and it's holistic as well he 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 has a good plan for an entire human life it's like look you know work hard be a family man you're a social man so make sure you've got friends it's necessary you'd spend time with your friends and family you know you've got to you know do your civic duty when it's demanded of you and things like this and if you do these things within what he calls the golden mean you know don't go to excess don't go to deficiency right. try and stay somewhere in the middle where it's about the right thing you know you'll know it when you feel it moderation and do that exactly moderation in in all things but in you know in in each aspect of life you, you try and aim for that golden mean where you know you're doing enough that you're not being deficient, but you're not doing it too much, so you're hurting yourself or something else. And, and this is the key to living a good life. And I think that he's right on that. And so one thing that the conservatives, I think, should start getting used to saying, because these things sound weird on the tongue because of the way that the left has commanded culture and language, yeah. but the, the, the conservatives need to start asking. When the left wing say, we want to do this, we want to do that, we want to do the other, the conservatives need to ask, okay, but where's the virtue in that? You know, if, the, if you can't demonstrate how that's a virtuous act, I'm going to consider that to be a vicious act. You know, you tell me where the virtue is and maybe I'll accept your argument and maybe we can have an argument about whether it's virtuous. But if not, I'm not going to accept that. And I don't see why I should. And I think demanding virtue of the left is essentially their Achilles heel yeah. because nothing they do is virtuous. <laughs> Absolutely nothing. They spend all their time trying to normalize vice. There isn't a vice on earth that the left won't try and normalize and say is acceptable. Yeah. And so I think the conservatives, if you can start changing the culture, say, look, we actually want to be the living example of a good and decent human being. Well, this is a good sort of way of pulling people in who are like, I don't know what good and bad are. Okay. Well, the conservatives know you do know, you know, you genuinely know. Yep. That's right. So where do you think your common sense, your values that you have espoused today which is mind-blowing, by the way. Where do you think that that comes from? My father. You love your father? More than anything. Best man I ever met. I rest my case. Yeah, no, honestly, absolutely. I mean, I I'm, I'm a father. Case. Will you love you, your father? You automatically love God, whether you realize it or not. <laughs> and those values come through God, through your father, to you as a kid. And you pass them on to your kids or to your friends mm -hmm. or whomever, right? Mm -hmm. But that's why you... You have what you have. You love your father. Mm -hmm. And that's why oh, we, yeah. for the last 31 years of my organization, we have been trying to turn the people back to the father. Because mm -hmm. once they turn back to their earthly fathers, life would become amazing. But I that's what that, it is. I, I rest I my case. Well, I, I, I couldn't do anything but other, other, uh, anything other than buttress that point. And that, you, you're exactly right. And I, I think that, one of, the, one of the first things that the feminists in particular did was try and strip the dignity of fathers. Yes. Patriarchy, patriarchy, patriarchy. Yeah. Sorry, I don't, I don't use the word patriarchy. I use the word father. And if you're asking me what a father is, the answer is the fathers are the pillars of the goddamn earth. The <laughs> fathers are holding all of this up. Yes. They're the men who get up and do the gr grimy jobs because they've got people they love who are relying on them. You know, they're the ones that you call when you're in trouble. You know, you, yo, you know, call my dad, call your dad, call, call the firemen. You know, they're going to be people's dads, people's, you know, brothers. Yeah. The, 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 these, these are the men who are building and holding up civilization. You know, they're the ones who are, and you can, you can measure this. You know, they are the net taxpayers. They do not, you know, take benefits in net. And unlike, unfortunately, you'd say women do, you know, women are not net beneficiaries when it comes to tax paying and things yeah. like this, yeah. you know, and it is, it is the men who get up in the middle of the night when you hear a weird sound, you know, downstairs and things like this, you know, men are the pillars of the earth and yes. every, every young man and young women too, as well, of course, look to their fathers to, for moral guidance. And Absolutely. It, oh my God. You see it in your own kids, right? When, it, when my wife is telling off my sons, it's never as serious as when I'm telling them off. Yes. And it's, it's not fair. I'm not saying it's equal or anything like that, but I have a much louder voice than my wife does. <laughs> you know? And so when I'm, when I'm angry, my children know about it. You know, they, they, and I don't have to work very hard to get them in line. Right. And, you know, and, and, this, and this is, I think, 
there is something deep in the lizard brain, you know, where the, this, the, the children rely on the security of having a father in the household. Yes. You know, because the father is probably is the model of God when you're a child. You know, Absolutely. Your father can do anything, be anything, you know, is there as a protector. And, and this respect for fathers is found in all of the cultures around the world. Yes. Like, you know, you, 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 you don't find in sort of like in India, in Arabia, in, you know, wherever, in Asia, wherever else, in Africa, you know, fathers are hugely respected as the head of the household for a reason, because the responsibility ultimately is on their shoulders. Yes. You know, like that's, that's where it lies. And so, okay, we are the pillars of the earth as fathers, and we, we should actually be able to articulate a moral demand from that. You know, no, we have actually got a good idea of what it is that our kids need. You know, we don't need some childless 35-year-old feminist bureaucrat telling us what's best for kids. They don't know anything about kids. That's they don't know right. anything about anything. And they've got no investment in society. You know, they don't care what happens after they're dead. You know, I don't, I'm not interested in hearing from these people, and neither should you be. Amazing, man. I'm done. We have just had church. I'm done. That's amazing. Um. Um, you, there's this thing called the cultural, I mean, the cancel culture. And I know that, and I've read that you were attacked by some woman by the name of, uh, Akila. Yes. yes. That's the right name? Akila Hughes. Uh, with the little time we have left, what happened with that? I want to hear from your mouth because I read about it and you can't believe what you read anymore. You can't. Uh, at, and that's never a true word spoken than that, I tell you. Right. So in, I think it was 2016, Akilah Hughes uh, put out a video. Uh, yeah, it must have been 2016 because she went to Hillary Clinton's uh, acceptance party because she was expecting to be the president, of course, because everyone's <laughs> saying she's going to be the president. Right. And Trump won. And so the video that she put up was hilarious because the, the, the commentary she'd done through the night was all very, very excited as uh, you know, as the night began, and then as the numbers started coming in towards the end, like you could see her face dropping, and then at the end she was crushed. <laughs> and so I did like a, a, a transformative edit of this uh, to show that look, you know, this is what it's like when you're so disconnected from reality. Just, just you know, m highlighting the beginning and highlighting the end, and being like, look, this is the kind of level of awareness that these people had. And so I put up this video. It was just a short, you know like two minute clip out of her 15 minute video whatever it was called sjw levels of awareness and the the juxtaposition of the clips was the commentary and she saw this and was like right okay well i'm gonna sue you for stealing my content and i emailed her saying well look i actually know how your laws work because of course i work on youtube youtube being an american company right. and i have to know how this works and uh, i said look you know I'm, I'm i'm actually happy to take the video down if you just ask nicely uh, <laughs> and you know, and, but she, interestingly, right, in the email, she was, I, you know, we had a bit of a back and forth. I was like, well, you're going to call me a racist. And she's like, I'm not calling you a racist. I, I, I just think you're a right winger or whatever. And it's like, okay, fine. Uh, and then this went on and on and on. And for some reason, the, the lawsuit dragged out for like four years. Uh, I don't know why either. Like Judge Sullivan, who, as all, all accounts, is a great judge, for some reason took a long time with this one. Uh, but it set a precedent because it showed that actually uh, creative remixing of videos is protected free speech. And so I won this court case. But the thing is, that would have, and that, that would have been where a normal person would have ended it, right? But the problem is, she, throughout this entire period, had been very arrogant on Twitter. And so there are loads of statements of her going, oh, I can't wait to eat. Because she was asking me for $150,000 as well. <laughs> I mean, there was no way that any of her videos made any of that. I bet she hadn't made that for her entire YouTube career. Yeah. And she's saying, oh, it cost her $150,000. So it's totally unreasonable. Uh, and she'd been very arrogant about this on Twitter. And she was, by the end of it, calling me a white supremacist and all this, you know, just, you know, all this sort of stuff. So you see the radicalization had ramped up. And she was like, yeah, I'm going to win. I'm going to win. I'm going to win. But the thing is, she lost at every turn. And then when it f came to the final end uh, conclusion, I, I personally had kept my mouth shut. You know, I'm not nice. talking about this lawsuit on, on Twitter, on YouTube, wherever, because I don't want the judge to be like, oh, this guy's being a, a, a you know, a, right. a bit of a fool about this. And she had played the fool all over Twitter. And so the judge awarded me damages or like, you know, the, whatever it cost me to run the lawsuit, right. which is about $40,000, something like that. And so in the end, she ended up paying me $40,000, which incidentally <laughs> paid for most of the studio for lotusseaters.com. Oh, uh, so congratulations. She, she oh, yeah, amazing. thank you. 
she basically paid for for our for our business which is very nice i very much appreciate it amazing congratulations man thank you you did you know that donald trump loved his father as well he grew up really close to his father i did know that yeah great deal of respect for his father that's why all young men should I think what's important very quickly as well to add on to that, that means that you as a father have a great deal of obligation placed on your shoulders. You know, you've got to be, you've got to show restraint. You've got to show affection and love. You can't just be, you know, angry and belligerent. You can't, you know, you've got to show your son that everything you do is in your son's interest and your daughter's interest. You're not just tyrannizing them for the fun of it or something like that because you have the power. No, you're, you're looking out for them in all ways and you've got to make sure they feel you're there on their side even when you're telling them off you know there's a big responsibility there amazing we are so out of time but i gotta put you on the hot seat you cannot on the hot seat i gotta oh yeah sure so i gotta uh i need you to answer these questions as quickly as possible there's no way you could be on the fallen state and not end up on the hot seat so i need you to answer these questions as quickly as possible Is Destiny too old to play video games? Yes. <laughs> In one word, describe Camilla Harris. Empty. Is sex love? No. Have you ever met a white supremacy? Yes. How much longer will uh, Harry and Megan be together? Oh, not long. <laughs> she's gonna, she's gonna, she's gonna extract what she wants out of him and then drop him when he's worthless. Like a hot potato. Yeah. Um, is uh, uh, are aliens real? I hope not. Should a man ever tell a woman his problems? Under certain circumstances, yes. Will Trump win the presidential again in 2024? God willing. Do human beings have a free will? Yes. Have you ever been a slut maker? Have I ever been a what, sorry? A slut maker. Well, what does that mean exactly? <laughs> well, no, that means you haven't been one. <laughs> a slut maker is a man who has sex out of wedlock. I have had sex out of wedlock. Yes. Slut maker! I, I am ashamed. <laughs> Do you, what is a man? Uh, an adult human male. What is love? A deep and endearing bond between two people. Amazing. Thank you, man, for taking the high seat. I appreciate that. Tell My the pleasure. folks how to get, oh, did you have fun? Oh, I had a great time. Oh, I had a really good time. Yeah. Tell them- no, it was really good. Tell the folks how to get to you, how to get to your you know, podcast or whatever it is that you're doing. Yeah. So uh, the easiest way is, of course, just going to lotuseaters.com. It's the um, uh, sort of uh, take on the island of the Lotus Eaters from the Odyssey. It's uh, esoteric, but uh, trust us, we do some really good stuff. Uh, failing that, you can find us on Facebook and YouTube, uh, just lotuseaters.com or podcast of the Lotus Eaters. Uh, on those platforms and uh, you'll be able to find our YouTube channel or Facebook pages and things like this. Uh, we're also on all alternative media. So Gab, Getter, Odyssey, Rumble, the, you know, the, the entire list bit shoot, all, all of the list of alternative media, you can find us all on there. And, uh, and I'm, I'm really proud of the work we're doing. We're, 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 we're trying to figure out the essence of conservatism in order to be able to explain it clearly to people outside of our project. Yes. And I think we're doing a good job. I mean, your, your reaction today has really, uh, you know, made me think, right, I must be onto something, because you, know, <laughs> you seem to have enjoyed it. So. I have to honestly tell you, in all of my time doing radio, of doing podcasts, of Father State, and other, this has been the best conversation I've ever had. Oh, thank you so much. And that's true. That, honestly, that's, that's very moving. Thank yeah. you. So I really appreciate that. Thank you. I really appreciate it. That's such a high compliment. Yeah, and it's true. Uh, it's just been amazing. And everybody in the studio are captivated by it. Um, honestly, I'm like, I'm going to blush. I'm, I'm, I'm terribly flattered. <laughs> I really am. I don't know what to say. You know, you, you don't even get compliments like that. So, you know. Yeah, and I, if I didn't mean it, I wouldn't say it. Thank you. Yeah. So thank you so much for coming on, man. I absolutely appreciate it. 
and happy Men's History Month. <laughs> thank you. Happy Men's History Month. That's right. Thank you. Thank you all for tuning in. I absolutely appreciate it. Don't forget to check us out on Patreon. We are now, the Father State is now on Patreon, so click the Patreon link in the description to support our work. Check out the store. We have amazing merch. Alpha male. I just spoke to Alpha male, okay? Alpha I'm going to have to get one of those. <laughs> Alpha male. And don't forget to ring the bell and support us. Let me hear from you. Thank you so much, folks. I appreciate it. watching the fallen state we need your continued support donate to my nonprofit here subscribe and like the videos here and tell everybody and their mama about the show so much man i truly enjoyed that conversation carl dude i had a great time i yeah. had a really great time it was I, mean, I i love watching you nailing leftists to the wall as well. <laughs> it's always so, honestly there is so many good clips of you around but there, there are compilation clips of you just hammering them it's great i love it <laughs> well we got to deal with this mess otherwise we're going to lose our country oh totally, totally. Yeah. It's, it's it's all or nothing now. it's yeah. all or nothing